If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome. This is Medicine in America, a podcast that will share the stories of physicians and other healthcare professionals who are changing the way they practice. We will hear what made them realize they had to reinvent and rethink their approach to treating patients. My name is Anthony Manson. I'm a 20-year-plus veteran of the healthcare industry, and I'm being joined today by my co-host and longtime friend and colleague, Todd Harrington. Hi, everyone. We have a really great show today. We're talking to a family medicine doctor, Dr. Lacoute, who's been practicing for 10 years in Michigan, and she just started a new innovative primary care practice of her own, and she did it along with her business IT consultant, Kim Lynch, who is here, and she's from a company called Medis Health. And as you will hear, they've really thought through what it needs to be in place for a practice to be successful in today's marketplace, and most importantly, for patients to get the best possible care. Before we get started, I just wanted to introduce my co-host, Todd Harrington. Say hi, Todd. Hello, doctor. Why don't we start with Dr. Lukut? Tell us a little bit about what brought you to make this major decision to reinvent yourself and start a new family practice. Yeah. So I trained as a family medicine resident and stayed on at the continuity clinic where I was practicing as a resident and then stayed on as a faculty doctor at that same clinic. So I had a long run kind of at one facility and really got to a point in my negotiating for my contracts. And I was both faculty and non-faculty at different times. And I both had a faculty contract and also a revenue-based contract all at the same location. Even with all of the changes that I was trying to implement to make my work-life balance a little bit better, I was finding that I was just kind of running into the same issues where I was being asked to do more and more and just kind of asked to continue to overwork myself. And I came to the realization at one point that it just wasn't going to stop. I think that they were just always going to ask me to do more and more. So I decided to make a large leap from a hospital-owned academic practice to a private kind of micro practice. That is a leap, yes. And you felt that it was not going to slow down is one of the reasons you broke away. It's just you exactly. Felt just, they figured they're going to get on. They're going to keep adding on, adding on until you just Yes. Broke. And we lost a lot of staff during COVID. And it just seemed like the staffing issues just kept getting worse and worse. And they, they meaning kind of the, just the greater hospital system, didn't really... It seems like they were caring less and less that we were struggling to continue to produce the same amount of revenue and see the same volume of patients. One of the other big factors was that they very unexpectedly let go one of the of my fellow physicians at my office who had actually met and exceeded her targets for revenue and was let go anyways. And that was a big shock. It all of a sudden kind of felt like wow. the security that I had had 
I never expected to question my job security as a physician, especially during my training. So for that to happen, even when she was overproducing, was a very big wake up call for me that even my job really wasn't safe. I mean, it really sounds like when you say target, you really realize there's a target you got to hit. And that's amazing to hear that. You think you don't, you think of that as a sales team. It's a whole, it's the same mindset. Exactly. And it really is a direct feedback to your salary. So your targets, the way that my hospital system structured it was that if you hit your target within a certain range, then that would set your base salary for the following year. And a lot of hospital systems are going to this type of tiered system. If you overproduce, Mm. they will give you a raise the following year, but then your new target Target. is your higher (laughs) revenue from the year before. (laughs) But isn't it from the patient's perspective, I mean, what is the impact on, on the patient's experience? And then, you know, the care you're giving them, is that meeting your standards? Yeah, great question. So what we really run into is trying to balance doing the right things for patients, spending the right amount of time with patients. Really, the timing with appointments is the biggest thing. They wanted to add more and more Mm. appointments, but then you're just shortening the time that you're spending with those patients. And so for me at an academic practice, the patients were used to having a little bit of longer appointments because with the residents, they kind of start out that way. And so they're used to that time slot. And when you shorten it, even though it's only by maybe two appointments in the morning and two appointments in the afternoon that they're adding. But for for primary care, we're talking about so many different topics and having to tackle so many different things in one 20-minute appointment slot that it just mm. it really started to impact the care. And then it, it starts to deteriorate your home life because you're charting and doing things much later into the evening. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. We hear about, we read about every single day, physician burnout and doctor burnout. How much of it is really COVID exhaustion or is it the system itself? The way you describe it, it sounds like it's more the construct of the practice and the demands that are being put upon you. Yeah, it was a very stark difference pre and post COVID. It seems like I was just waiting for years to bounce back and to function like we were functioning pre-COVID with the amount of staff that we had. And we just never bounced back. All right. So let's segue over to my family practice, which is your new venture with Kim. Kim, can you just talk a little bit about your past and what you bring to the table in partnering with Dr. Lacoute? Sure. My company is Metis Health Technologies, and we partner with doctors, clinicians to run their business. And I've spent 20 years as a builder, operator, and policymaker in healthcare. And I really have to agree with your observation that it sure seems like this is the system working as it is currently designed. I think that is unfortunately more and more true. So across my career, I've worked in a variety of settings. The last 10 years, I've worked in value-based care. And this ratchet effect that Dr. Lukut's describing of whatever quality you've hit, you need to hit that and better next year to maintain your payment. On its face, it it seems like it's a good thing for patients. But what I'm observing, having having had a really vast and varied career, is that it feels like a race to a lowest common denominator. What is the least Mm, doctors will accept? What is the least patients will accept? And so I'm incredibly proud to to have found this founded this company, Metis Health, to help clinicians get a handle on where their time is going and where their money is going so they can practice the way they want to practice. 
So mm-hmm. partnering with Dr. Lacoot and her and her business partner was a no brainer because talking with them about the goals they had in opening their own practice, it was all about great patient care and returning the joy in practice that Dr. Lacoot's describing that, quite frankly, we know leads to better outcomes for patients, for you as an individual business and for our communities. So to me, the business of lowest common denominator, what stands on the other side of that and what I'm very glad to be working on is the business of aligned incentives. Because again, as Dr. Lacoot said, what her patients are looking for is the kind of care she wants to provide. And now we have the beginnings of innovation again in the business of healthcare to say, what does the payment model look like that supports that, not this race to the lowest or the least? So that's what we're working on together. And that, that doesn't mean when you say, you know, lowest common denominator, it doesn't mean that it goes to the other end of the spectrum, right? I mean, it means that you can be profitable and still be able to spend the time you want to spend and manage the patients the way you want to manage the patients. That's exactly right. And with new business models, with new payment models, we're seeing this innovation happen a bit more now. What's really exciting to me is that there's technical maturity where we've got tools to help you have visibility into how your business is running today and how then you want to change that picture of your business towards your goal. So again, Dr. Lacoot and her partner, they came to me and said, we want to maximize our Medicaid reach. We want to help our Medicaid community. What an interesting business problem to solve for, right? To say, not only do these doctors want to make a livable wage, but they want to maximize their impact in this community. Well, that's that's a business transaction, a business strategy that should there should be tooling to help you do that. And there is no such tooling to help them say, here's what matters most to us as clinicians. Now let's point my business in that direction and work towards it. Are you accepting most insurance and Medicaid, Medicare, or have you pulled back on that in your new practice? Our goal was to continue to accept everything we were accepting at the academic practice, which is essentially any and all insurances. It was very important to us to keep our Medicaid patients and make sure that they still had access to that care and still had access to us as their primary care doctors, as they had for 10 plus years. So that was the biggest thing. But what you, as primary care especially, but in general, along the lines and along the way of training, we hear all the time, you can't survive in private practice. This is not something that you can do, especially primary care and because our reimbursement is lower and we don't do these high-tech specialist things. And so there's no way to make that work, especially there's no way to make that work if you're going to take Medicaid because the reimbursement is so low. So you just, you get fed that information so frequently that I just took it as face value from teachers or attending physicians along along the way. But I hadn't really actually examined you know, why? And and is there a way to counteract that a little bit? Okay, well, maybe our reimbursement will be lower with the Medicaid population, but is our reimbursement better with a different population that I have a lot of? And maybe we can offset that a little bit. And that's some of the strategies that Kim helped us with. There really wasn't a good starting line for us to say, okay, we're going to do this. Now, what's the first step? I mean, we were even going all the way to just establishing an LLC. We don't learn that stuff. We don't have business classes or any of those types of training modules or anything like that in medical school or during residency. So we didn't even know how to start a basic business model. 
So we were kind of learning as we as we went. One of the things that we really wanted to provide to people, both my partner and I are, are DOs, so we're osteopathic physicians, and we provide a lot of osteopathic manipulative treatment care to our patients. And we have at our previous previous practice, and we wanted to really supplement our practice a little bit to say, hey, maybe we can accept more Medicaid patients if maybe we're pulling in and have this other niche type of service that we can provide, and maybe that can offset it. Yeah, my, my thing is, Kim, that the hospitals must have more people like you. I mean, because they're, they're, they must be seeing this and that these contracts are different. You're acknowledging it. So I would think that they bring in that kind of innovation to understand their data of what the, what, how these contracts are written out and the departures and things. I think that's probably something that will start happening more. I think you're right. Yeah, I think the private equity run practices are definitely, you're seeing that already. I agree. And, and I mean, widening the point a bit, part of what's concerning in those deals, and I've seen a lot of them now, is that they really operate on some fundamentals around asymmetric information, where the practice or the doctor is undervalued because they don't have good tools to understand the value that they're creating or have created in their practice. And PE or other whoever's on the other side of the table swoops in with, no, you're not valued as much as you think. I mean, you just heard Dr. Lacoute say that she didn't feel valued in this process. Same is true as PE or other privately backed entities move in with financial planning and analysis tools that doctors don't have and are not familiar with. And doctors are walking away with maybe nothing or a very, you know, a pittance on their worth that then gets flipped for 10x, 20x a year later. That's fundamentally not fair to me and a very simple (laughs) problem to solve. Kim, you mentioned the data part of it. I mean, last time we talked, you in partnership with Dr. Lacoute, you talked about being able to set up a system or technology within the practice where the physicians can see almost on a daily basis what the revenue cycles look like and where it's working, where there are challenges or issues. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's right. So what we're working on is exactly that, a a tool to give you an understanding of your current business, where your time and money is going, and then the ability to align your business to your to your goals. So really taking that step of if this is how my business is performing today, how I'm being paid, what my patient population looks like, how do I want to change that picture over the next three months or a year? Aligning to where am I not being paid fairly is a re- very real issue in private practice and certainly compared to hospitals. Which payers are you seeing the largest denials accumulate? Where are you seeing fair payment happening as expected? Conversely, is really powerful for a clinical business because every dollar that they are paid is a dollar that they reinvest in themselves, in their practice, in their community. But what we know from our market research and verified talking with doctors and talking with health tech businesses is that private practices are paid maybe four or five in 10 times. And hospitals are ultimately paid about nine in 10 times. There is no industry that would tolerate that kind of differential. And Mm. yet private practices, and this is true for practices like Dr. Lacoutes that are just getting started, all the way to value-based Vanguard practices have no tooling that helps them see where they are being paid today. Is it happening as expected? let alone other important measures of their business like 
no-show rates, same sort of data problem. Where are no-shows accumulating? Where does it matter to me that those no-shows are accumulating? Is it in certain visit types? Certain patient populations help me act on that. So I reach out to my patients differently, test and learn what works so that my schedule is full, whether it is because my patients know that I'm here for them or when something comes up, that's okay. I can fill in with another patient who may be waiting or with like a same day appointment. These are problems that are solved in other industries or analogous problems are solved in other industries. We just haven't brought that tool set to healthcare yet. Dr. Lacoute, does that level of, of data, it, it definitely helps you. But from a time management standpoint, does that just add in terms of your tasks and every day to, to be able to delve into that information? My first thought when I hear about this type of data that can be analyzed like that when Kim was talking about this is that it reassures me that this goal that I'm trying to achieve to make this project profitable long term is actually like I, I am capable of doing that because I'm able to look at this stuff more frequently and be able to do that. And this is probably similar to what like a, a practice manager or an office manager would do on a salaried basis for my practice, but this might actually be able to consolidate it and, and make it digestible for me, who is not business trained, to be able to look at it and say, oh, well, clearly we're missing out on this amount of revenue doing it this way. So if we change this around slightly, then it looks like we'll do better next quarter. So for me, it feels like it's taking all of that what can seem like really daunting data and kind of boiling it down to make it easily accessible to me. And that's what's really exciting because I feel like I have just this little extra insight that maybe other private practices had struggled with in the past. So it makes it feel achievable. Feeling like you can have access to data like this complex makes it feel like, okay, we'll be okay because we'll be able to assess this as we go and make small changes. And then we can actually see the outcome. So having rotators come in if I had had a rotation like my new practice when I was in medical school or residency, I think it would have completely changed my outlook on my options and in what type of job or what I would think about doing in the future. Yeah, I think we're dealing with factors in, in the economy and in the market that we never had before. So when I think about the way family practice lives and breathes today, especially with like millennials, you have telehealth, you have NPs, PAs, you have a very different family practice dynamic going on. Urgent care, I think, has definitely cut into family practices that we used to have an appointment. And now you have an option of going down to the down the block. So I'm just wondering if you think about kind of the future of family care and family practices, does it look different? Does it have to be different to deal with some of the dynamics like millennials and urgent care that all these other options are available today? I think what it comes down to is I think virtual appointments are certainly going to be something that's going to be necessary moving forward convenience wise. I've done a ton of virtual care, even at my previous practice and all through COVID and things like that. I think COVID changed that faster for even for my older patient population. They get on their iPad and there we are having a virtual appointment with some of my patients in their 80s. And so that I think is a huge component of something that needs to stay in order to function in primary care. But I think the other big part of it, and I think the reason why people 
you know, go to urgent care or do the, the more convenient, faster thing is that they don't really have that great relationship where they feel like their primary care doctor is accessible to them. So it's just easier to go down the street than to call because the wait time on the, on hold and, oh, well, they're not gonna be able to see me today and maybe I won't be able to get in. And But the accessibility with things like a patient portal where they can send me a message like that comes through an email and I can respond to that same day much quicker than I can a phone call or someone waiting on hold. As a modern primary care practice, if you're implementing those things and encouraging people to use that and they see that the turnaround time is faster and that they're getting a response faster or maybe they are getting that same day appointment that they didn't think they were going to get, it reinforces them to keep using those new technology things that we that we can implement. And it also helps with making sure that my time is reimbursed the way that it should be too, because there was a ton of time before the portal or before virtual care where I was doing care outside of appointments. And that's really not reimbursable time. So it was just kind of part of the job. But in private primary care, it needs to be really implemented so that we can actually bill for that and that we're getting reimbursed the way we should be. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my concerns, just seeing within my my family, the younger generation is using urgent care. They don't have a relationship with a primary care provider. When they do, they come back dissatisfied with wait times or seeing an NP that doesn't know them. Not that they're getting bad practice, but they just kind of seem like they don't have the same relationship that I have with the family care provider. Yeah, it takes a long time to establish those relationships and you have to stick with it and they have to consistently see you showing up. But in order to do that, they have to still be coming back to your door and that's harder to to get that set. But I think the biggest thing that patients say and most of my like reviews or patients when they tell me why they like me as their primary care doctor, they always talk about how much time I spend with them and then I don't make them feel rushed. And everything about medicine now is rushed. If you take that away, people don't, no matter what age the patient is, no one likes to feel rushed or like their their doctor's hand is on the door handle the whole last third of their appointment. So it, that's really what it is. You sit down, you listen to me. That's what everybody says when they give me feedback about my care. So when I realized that I was being pushed to spend less time with people, I just knew that that was going to deteriorate those relationships so quickly. And I just wanted to keep being able to spend time with people without having to compromise my being able to make a mortgage payment. So it's all part of the all part of the challenge. Yeah, as you said, it's the, the maybe it's as Anthony said the younger generation. I mean, there there's an impatience, and but they have to allow for that relationship to be established. I mean, I can't imagine. I've had my same doctor for 25 years, and it is great to go and know he knows everything right. about you, and it's it's so refreshing. And you wonder how much with telehealth and everything that's could even happen. So your private practice, you allow to do that because you just you've chosen that. They're getting me when they do a telehealth through my practice directly, and they're not doing their like random assigned telehealth with their insurance. So even yeah. for those virtual appointments with a private practice, if you allow time for that, then you're still at least seeing the same face. And Dr. Lacoud, as you grow, will you will you hire NP and PAs? Do you envision? It's possible. We would probably need to have a bigger overall space in order to do that. But for same day appointments, I think that that would be something that would be really helpful. At my previous practice, there was a PA that had been there for 30 plus years. And so lots of people recognized his face too, but that's going to be 
much further down the line. And I, I would only really envision that for same day and like kind of urgent care type of appointments. I'm curious. I mean, since you, I know it's early on, but you have some of your old colleagues kind of peeking in the door thinking they might want to try this. I mean, have you, you got, I know you got a great response and, and people say, we'll, we'll miss you, but do you, you feel you started a trend in your area more? I think that the curiosity is definitely the, definitely there. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah. most primary care docs and even most of my classmates that I graduated, graduated residency with are all kind of peeking in the store and kind of seeing private practice as a end goal, much more so than when we were in residency together. Now, kind of when I'm getting their feedback, they're all sort of envisioning private as the end of the, once they're done with their faculty positions or whatever. And they see you're smiling more too. Yeah, exactly. Yes. They're like, how did you do this exactly? And then I'll just give them Kim's number. (laughs) I think that's one of the things I'm excited about is that you guys are partnering on this, you know, and I think that having a business partner like that is fantastic. So I applaud you for, for making that handshake together. Well, it's, it's very easy. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely would not have known where to start. Shouldn't be this far off idea, one. But two, right, we're hearing a couple of other really important things that, again, gets back to, I don't have the answers. I'm your business partner or I'm, I'm a service to help you make good business decisions, but it's your decision to make, doctor. Because is it an NP? Is it an MA? Or is it another DO? And what supports your goals for your population, for your business, then how do we make it happen, right? Business strategy should follow clinical practice in clinical business, and it doesn't today. The other big area that I think technology in particular is well-suited to help with is buying back time for the doctor, for the office manager, as they navigate the constant change around policy, compliance, and regulation that's a full-time job unto itself and and many people's full-time jobs at a hospital. But in private practice, who helps you not only navigate each quarter as payers update their payment regulations and keep on top of state and national regulatory policy changes so that you can be confidently compliant, yes, and raise your voice when there is a policy that's up for consideration that would affect you and your practice. The last piece of it that that Dr. Lacoot actually in our first conversation asked me about and I loved was around value-based care and engaging there. We're so excited to help clinics figure out their right fit value-based partners or innovative payment programs and partnerships. But again, it has to start with what are your goals, doctor, clinician for your patients, and then who are the right partners with the right economic terms that match what you're trying to do in your practice. And again, that's a ton of complexity that doesn't need to be as difficult to then make a confident decision around. Yeah, and and having a say as to which direction you want to go and which some doctors don't have That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I I like what you say about raising your voice because that's one of the things we've talked to a lot of uh, industry folks about and physicians where it's just like there is no union, there is no not a lot of recourse for some decisions that get handed down. And certainly there are city, state, national policies that are affecting practices. So it is a challenge, no question. And there's a lot of lip service paid to what's good for patients and the health of communities. I want to see the evidence around those policies and how they play out. And I know that 
doctors like Dr. Lacoute, they feel the impact of those policies. And so them having their own data to be able to say, here's the right program for my population and here are the outcomes we've achieved. They should be able to tell that story and then be able to use their own data again to say what you're proposing would disadvantage my patients or disadvantage me. And that's not okay. And again, these are really solvable problems if we look at other industries that just haven't those solutions haven't yet made their way into clinical practice. Yeah, hard evidence. I think you're right. I mean, it's not always there. I think a lot of our clinical decisions, I mean, we're all expected as physicians to stick to so much evidence-based medicine, and that's what we rely on so heavily. But when it comes down to how these bigger processes actually work, even like a value-based care type thing, I was lucky to have a mentor at my previous office who taught us a ton about value-based care and patient-centered medical home and how to get these things to work for you. And she was kind of a pioneer in, in the health system for implementing these things at our office. So I had this big advantage where I knew it was possible and that those things were out there, but I didn't understand how they would affect me in a private practice versus, oh, this is just something that the hospital system does, right? We would have whole employees set aside to to deal with value-based care and call patients and make sure they got their mammograms and their colonoscopies. But I didn't understand the actual impact that that could actually have and what a huge benefit that could be in a private practice setting where it felt like the whole point of those measures in making sure your patients got good preventative care actually came to fruition and was a plus for everyone, as opposed to just a a bigger health system trying to rake in more profits. So it started to feel like, oh, these measures actually, this makes a ton of sense. And I kind of get the whole reason that they started out doing these value-based care things, but it seems to have gotten lost. And so when you can apply it to a smaller practice, it really feels like, wow, we're like, this is really awesome work that we're doing. Like, look at these mammogram rates and how many more of my patients got their mammograms this year than last year. That kind of clinical outcome, I mean, that saves people's lives, right? Those are grandmothers and mothers that are here today that wouldn't otherwise be all because everyone's doing the right thing. And what I love about that is now we have payment models to help say, and what's the value created by doctors doing that great work and the benefit to the system of those patients not ending up in more dire circumstances and then having to consume a whole bunch of care that takes them out of their families, takes them away from their lives. And yet doctors, as you heard Dr. Lacoot say, she then only holds serve with her payment if she does that. And then the ratchet gets higher for mammography screening the next year, as opposed to Dr. Lacoute, you've created tremendous value in the system. How do we pay you fairly for the preventive care that you've provided and the value you've created? That's what innovative payment models are supposed to be about. But again, there's so much complexity there. Finding the right model that supports your patients and pays you fairly for the outcomes you're achieving, that's still a pretty complicated thing to sort out. We need more education around that for for people to Absolutely. really be able to figure that out, given the complexities that you said. Yeah, it can really work for you as a provider and it can really work for your patient population too. I mean, the the whole getting just down to boiling down to why they were put in place in the first place. Right. But, but it's to your point about the value, it also means better outcomes, not just better profitability, which is the way a lot of the industry is focused today is let's shut down our labor and delivery. Let's focus exactly. on 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 orthopedics, let's focus on more procedures. 
So the the trend is going the other way, unfortunately. Right. Exactly. But, you know, a lot of the same things, though, a lot of the same tokens where there still are feedback loops where, you know, seeing your primary care doctor is still important in that loop somewhere or still important for the consultants to send us their consult notes and things like that, which is all well and good. But if we're not having that same follow up with the patient, then it, it all gets lost when we start refocusing on these other things. So like actually boiling down and focusing on preventative care and actually making a plan for someone who comes in for their annual every year and says, I want to be as healthy as I can for my grandkids. Those are incredibly important moments in time where you just get this little slice of time to be able to really make a very positive impact on someone's life and catch something before it costs everyone else a lot more heartache and time and, you know, and money. But we're we're expected to be doing that work while also still manage everything, managing everything else. And it just gets so muddy. So it's it just is nice to be able to focus on some of these preventative measures, which is really feels like what I was really trained to do ultimately is to give each person, each patient that I see a plan. That's my job. I give advice about how to be as healthy as you possibly can. And the best way to do that is to prevent these bad outcomes. So if I can do that, I'm I'm all about it. I would just add and get paid for the work <laughs> that you are right. doing. Yes. Really. That is a concept. And, yeah. and re- yeah. returning more joy to your work along the way, because I hear you smiling as you say that, Dr. Lacoute, and I know that your patients feel it too. That's where it's at, getting paid fairly for the work you're doing and then bringing that joy back to practice. How should, if anybody's listening to this, want, want to get in touch with you and ask you questions, what's the best way that they could do that? We have a general mailbox for our office for email, which would be great. So it's office at mymifamilydocs.com. All right, Kim? Yep. We are at getmedishealth.com. Metis spelled M-E-T-I-S. So getmedishealth.com. Find your way to us and we would be happy to help new clinics like Dr. Lacoot or clinics that have been at it for a while and really want to get a better handle on where their time and money is going. Excellent. Well, thank you both. You're a powerhouse and um, yes. excited for what your, your innovative new family care practice. And I have no doubt it's going to be very successful for both from a business perspective, but also from a patient experience perspective. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Medicine in America. We have a lot more episodes coming. So please subscribe in your favorite podcast player and don't forget to rate and review the show. Also, please tell your colleagues and friends about it. I'd also like to give a big shout out and thank you to Dr. Lacoute, as well as Kim Lynch for joining us today. And also my co-host, Todd Harrington. And a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm your host, Anthony Manson. Until next time. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. 
In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. 